0: Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I like time. Uh, I like my watch. I like my calendar. I like when things are orderly and go as planned. I, I feel like I have a mostly healthy relationship with time and how it works. I, I can think about how long it's going to take me to get from one place to another place, and generally I get there right as I was expecting to get there. I can plan out how long it's going to take me to accomplish certain tasks, and I generally get them done by the time that I said I should get it done. I have this relationship with time that generally works quite well, and I like that. Actually, I heard a, uh, a pretty good dad joke about time the other day. It's such a good dad joke that if I don't preface it and tell you that it's a joke, none of you are going to laugh. So I have to at least tell you. So you want to know what my favorite time is? Uh, Six thirty, hands down. Anybody? Yeah, uh, yeah, you get it. All right, all right. So, anyways, I, I like time. I, I like when I like when things work out. I don't like being late. You know, unless it's to one of those uh, casual parties where everybody's going to be kind of casually late, I've learned to accept that and not show up early or even right on time. <laughs> I, and I don't really like when things are planned for a certain length of time, and then they go past that time and just pass that time for no good reason. And so every once in a while, I even irk myself a little bit, even watching the clock here at church. And when we Somehow crest over that hour mark, part of me in my core is going, oh, no, everybody's going to revolt and run away. So just my deepest apologies to you from the early service last week. We were having a lot of fun, and we went pretty long. So none of you really care, but I just need to say it, all right? So anyways, I like time. I I like time, and I like when time is working. I like to pay attention to time. Now, time is an interesting thing, if you think about it everyone on earth throughout time has lived according to the cycles of time that God created in the beginning. Day and night, night and day, earth spins, revolves around the sun. I mean, you know how this goes, minutes and hours and weeks and days and years, time, right? But time is something that God created, God created time there in the beginning. That means that God is outside of time. He's not boxed in by time. He operates outside of the time that we live here on earth. And even though God is outside of time, he still steps in to time. And we'll see that happening today. But God is outside of time. He's not bound by it. And that's why places in the scriptures like the Psalms, say things like, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watchman in the night. There are other places in the scriptures that, that compare a day uh, to God in a, in a thousand years here on earth. And these passages in scripture are not making some sort of mathematical equation. They're simply stating what I'm stating, which is God is bigger than time. He's outside of time. He's not bound by time. He operates in a different sphere than we do. Time. Time. Oftentimes, we wonder why certain things happen at certain times. And in particular, to certain people, in certain places, on certain days, in certain years. Why do these things happen our world is in a difficult time right now just in the last few days we've seen as russia invaded ukraine there's an actual war taking place in europe not seen for decades we're seeing one nation try to take over another nation without provocation and by sheer force, and we think to ourselves, what what is going on? Why is this happening right now, here in 2022, on, on these days, and what is going to come of this time and these events? Why to these people in these places at this time, we wonder. We see this sheer force and People striving for more and more power. But those of you who are students of history, you know, unfortunately, that this kind of activity, a nation or a people trying to take over another person or, or people group or completely eliminate them off the map, this is nothing new. We've seen it before. That doesn't excuse it. By no means, but let me show you what I mean from a biblical perspective. Today, in our journey through the story, we are in chapter 20, and chapter 20 covers the book of Esther from the Old Testament. If you've never read Esther before, I would encourage you to do that. It's only 10 chapters long. It's good uh, narrative. It's not a hard read, so you can read it. But there in the book of Esther, Esther and her close relative Mordecai come to this point of climax in the story where they wonder and they ask the question maybe all of this, all of these events that have transpired, as difficult as they may have been, have gotten us to this place right now for such a time as this. Maybe it's all happened for right now for such a time. As this. But let me not get ahead of myself. Let me give you a little bit of context from the book of Esther. I'm going to just going to give you the snapshot details, kind of highlights from the story. I'm not filling in all the gaps. That's what your role is, reading it either from the story or from the Bible itself. But let me at least cast for you what happens in this book. The story of Esther takes place in a city called Susa, which is in the Persian Empire. Or formerly known as Babylon. It was the land that the Jewish people were taken to in exile. Those of you who have been with us are familiar with this part of the story. Well, Esther takes place about 30 years after Jews have started going back to Israel. So some Jews have already gone back to Israel, but Esther and her family, for whatever reason, did not go back uh, to Israel. And this was not actually all that uncommon. A lot of exiled Jews stayed where they were in exile because maybe they were born there, they started lives there, and they just said, well, we'll just stay here. So that's what Esther's family did. But when Esther was young, both of her parents died. And her closest male relative was a man named Mordecai. Uh, and Mordecai took care of Esther as her father. Well, skipping ahead and just sparing you a lot of the details, here's what happens. The king of Persia, a man named Xerxes, or in other translations of the Bible, Ahasuerus. I'm going to call him Xerxes because that one's easier to say. King Xerxes had uh, deposed his queen. He had gotten rid of her because she stood up to him and didn't want, didn't want to do what he was asking her to do. So he just got rid of her. So then the king, Xerxes, needed a new queen, and so he put out an order through his empire to bring all the young, beautiful virgins to his kingdom, from which he would choose the next queen. Guess who was chosen as queen? Esther. Esther, out of all these people, chosen to be the next queen of the Persian empire. Huge empire. But Mordecai specifically told her, don't tell them that you are a Jew. They will not like that very much. Now, we are going to find out that Esther is the protagonist of this story, the the good person. But at the same time, there's this antagonist, a man by the name of Haman. Haman is after power. He wants power. He wants power. And he is rising in the ranks in King Xerxes' empire. Uh, Haman actually rises to so much power that he's allowed to issue a decree that whenever he's walking through the streets, people need to bow down to him. (laughs) Arrogant, huh? Well, Mordecai, who is a faithful Jew, won't bow down to any people. So when Haman walks by, Mordecai doesn't bow down. This infuriates Haman so much that through a turn of events, he is able to issue another decree with the king's signature that every single Jewish person, woman, child, man, doesn't matter, that every Jewish person throughout the entire Persian Empire should be executed on one single day. And they sent the whole letter out. Mass genocide. Super sad. Think about it. Well, one man's pride and power can ultimately do. I told you, unfortunately, it's nothing new for a nation or a person to use force to try to take over people or eliminate them. But Mordecai, again, there's a whole turn of events here. You've got to read it if you don't know it. Mordecai, he finds out about this plot of Haman's. He gets word to Esther, who is queen, and he says, Esther, you have to go to the king and try to stop him. Get him to see what Haman is doing. You have to go. And in Esther 4.14, it's recorded. Who knows, Esther? These are Mordecai's words. Esther, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time? As this, Maybe all these events have transpired, Esther, for such a time as this. Who knows, Esther? Who knows? Who knows how it is that God arranges these things? Who knows how it is that God times out certain activities that happen at certain times? Who knows? Well, God knows. God knows what He's doing. And God is always faithful to His promises. And God is always working. And even though God is outside of time and he's not bound by my watch, God is still operating in time through people. Maybe you've heard it said, or you've said to yourself, these events must have transpired according to God's timing and not our own. God's timing and not our own. Maybe you've heard that, right? I'm sure you've, if you think about it, you've had moments in your life where events unfolded according to a plan that was not your own. And things just happened, and you step back and you go, how did this happen now, and why? It's got to be according to God's timing and not my own. For me personally, I think back to the most clear example in my life where this has happened. And I think back to the Father's Day flood a few years ago. Some of you have heard this story of what happened to me on that morning, but many of you have not, so let me share this just briefly. On that morning, if you don't know, there was torrential rains and I was on my way here to church at about 6 o'clock in the morning uh, as the rains were coming down at their heaviest and damage was starting to happen around our community. But I was unaware other than it was raining really hard. I live in Hancock and so I was coming up that morning on M26 and I got to the stoplight by Econo Foods on Sharon Avenue. The stoplight was out of power at that time. It was just black, pouring rain, and I turned left to head onto Sharon Avenue towards church here. As I was driving, immediately I saw another car parked in the opposite lane facing the stoplight at a dead stop. There was a woman behind uh, behind the uh, the steering wheel, but I didn't even think of stopping. It was not my intention. I didn't know what was going on. So I continued to proceed, but I didn't make it very far because Razorback Drive, which is the low point of Sharon Avenue, had a rushing torrent of water, a raging river going across the road at that time. And I knew I should not drive across that water in my tiny little Toyota Corolla. So I've turned around, figuring I would find an alternate route to church. And as I turned around, I came up behind that car. And I could see that that car was uh, tilted, actually. Uh, and as I got closer, I could see that the front right tire, the passenger's front tire, was actually stuck in a sinkhole on the road, on the, on the side of the road. And the car was stuck there. And I thought, man, this is not, this is not good. So I got out of my car. I pulled up behind her. I I put put on my hood. It was pouring rain. And as I got closer, uh, all I could hear was a torrent of water rushing underneath the road from the culvert. And as I got closer, I actually saw pieces of pavement crumbling into that hole. And and I just thought, this is not good. I don't don't know what's going to happen. But something came over me that I went up to her window and I knocked on it. And I said, ma'am, I think you should get out of your car. And, and she was an older woman, and she said, "I called my daughter. She's she's coming to get me. I think it's okay." And I said, "I don't think that you're safe here. Why don't you get into my car?" And she said, "No, it's okay." And I said, I, "Ma'am, I just really think that you ought to get into my car. No joke. Her car was tilting. It's like like a cliffhanger kind of thing in a movie." And I said, "Just just get in my car." And she finally got into my car. And, and I said, let's drive to higher ground. So we pulled into the Walgreens parking lot, and I called 911 to tell them what was going on. We were not in the Walgreens parking lot for two minutes when she said, can you go back closer to Sharon Avenue so I can see when my daughter arrives to pick me up? And I said, sure. So we pulled back down between the Pizza Hut and the Wilderness Car Wash, if you're familiar with where I'm talking about. And by the time we got back there, not, not, no joke, less than five minutes after she got in my car, We pulled back up. Her car was gone. Sharon Avenue was gone. The whole thing was collapsed. It was later found that her car was 20 feet down, smashed against a tree, buried under a torrent of water. If if God had not put me there at that time or or forced me to turn around at Razorback Drive, two minutes this way, two minutes that way, uh, her life and mine, I mean, it all could have been so much different. I look at that moment. I say, that was not Aaron ordained. That was God ordained. And why at that time with these people? I have no idea. I have no idea. Who knows how it is that God times these things out? Who knows? God does, simply. Back to the story. Uh, Mordecai and Esther, they ask that question. Who knows, Esther, if you've been made queen for such a time as this? Esther, I I think all these events have led to this time. And Esther, very bravely, she says, okay, I'll go speak to the king. She's not supposed to do this, okay? She's supposed to wait till the king summons her before she speaks. She's putting her life on the line doing this, but she does it. She goes to the king, and she begs for him to relent. I'll spare you all the details and cut right to the chase. (laughs) Her, 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 it all works out, all right? It all works out. The Jews are saved. Haman, the, uh, the bad guy, he gets killed. Mordecai and Esther are promoted to high ranks in the Persian Empire. And it all works out according to God's good timing. God's timing. God does things according to his time. Consider what we heard in the book of Galatians today. In Galatians, it said that at the fullness of time, Jesus was born into this world. At the fullness of time, at just the right time, at just the perfect time, when the time was that God had planned for it, Jesus was born. Why then, at that point, in that place? I don't know. It was God's plan exactly at the right time, at the fullness of time. And throughout the ministry of Jesus, Jesus paid attention to God's timing. He knew the Father's time. Throughout his ministry, there were times in Jesus' life where he said, it's not my time. It's not my time. People can't yet know who I am. At other times, he said, it is my time. People need to see who I am. At certain times in his ministry, he told his followers, don't tell anyone what you just saw because the recipients are not going to be ready to receive it. It's not their time. But at other times, he told them, go and tell other people what you saw because they need to hear it. I said that I have a healthy relationship with time. Jesus had a perfect relationship with God's time and he acted perfectly according to it. Consider the transfiguration of Jesus as we heard in Luke chapter 9 today. As Pastor Kevin said, today is Transfiguration Sunday in the church. It's this mysterious event where three disciples, Peter, James, and John, the closest disciples to Jesus, get to see Jesus for who he really is. Up until this point, they've been seeing a teaching and doing miracles. They know there's something special about him. But at this moment, on this mountain, at this time, they see him transfigured. What does that mean? It means in some way, indescribably, he changed appearance. He was glowing. He was glorified. And those guys saw him for who he is, God. God. God in the flesh, at that moment, Jesus was demonstrating to them that he has come into this world to save all people from their sins. You know, Esther, Esther, she stood up to the king. She was bold. She put her life on the line to save God's people. Jesus was bold, He stood up to sin, to the devil, and to death itself. He put his life on the line. Esther was spared. Jesus died. Jesus gave up his life. He died. But we know how the story unfolds. Jesus rose from the dead. He's not a mere martyr. He's the son of God who defeated death by rising from the dead. He overcame every oppressor on earth and he overcame the worst oppressor, the devil himself. And Jesus has promised that he's going to come again. And when he does, he's going to do the same thing for you. Rise you from the dead in order that you too can overcome every oppressor and oppressive thing in this earth and overcome death itself so you can live forever. When's it going to happen? What day? I want to mark it on my calendar, Jesus. I want to get ready. When are you doing it? When are you coming? Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? According to God's good timing, I suppose, at just the right time, it'll happen. Jesus says he doesn't even know. Not even the Son of Man knows. Only the Father knows We don't know for sure when Jesus will come back, but Jesus actually, you know, gives us a couple of hints. There's a section of Scripture, Matthew chapter 24, that talks a lot about the end times and Jesus' return. And there's one section that says this, Matthew 24, verse 6 through 8. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. This is a whole section about Jesus' return and, and what, what kinds of things we might see in advance. And there are some people who look at portions of Scripture like this and they look at events unfolding in the world. They look at the things unfolding in Ukraine and Russia and they say, Jesus is coming right now. It's happening. You can see it. Wars, rumors of wars. It's, it's coming. It's right now. It's happening. Well, let me just remind you, in case you're not aware, there have always been wars. There's always been rumors of wars. There have always been famines. There have always been earthquakes. Before Jesus, during the time of Jesus, even up till today, the world has always been at war and rumoring war. So Jesus is not directly saying, when you see certain nations fighting against each other, I'm I'm coming. Actually, what did he say? He said, see that you are not alarmed. See that in the second sentence? See that you're not alarmed. And he also says, the end is not yet. (laughs) So Jesus is telling us all this because he's saying, all of these things are always going to be happening, and I don't want you to be alarmed. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. I'm taking care of it. According to my timing, according to my good timing, I will come and I will put an end to it all. I will, I will, I promise, I will. And so as faithful people like Esther, we have to say, okay, Lord, according to your good timing, for such a time as this, for such a time as this, and we trust Jesus at his word, trusting and preparing for his return, for he is coming soon, and we know it, not because of the wars that are happening, but we know it because he said it. He's coming soon. Be ready. Keep the lights on. Be at work according to his work, so that we, when he finds you working according to his work, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. God has you alive at this time, at this moment, in this place, with these people for his purpose. You have been created for such a time as this. Every day, every moment, every minute is God timed. He is working all the time. I pray you see it. And he's working in your life to fill you with life, to fill you with hope, to Fill you with his joy. And he's working in your life according to his timing so that you can be like Esther and stand up for the sake of other people and tell them that Jesus is real and tell them that Jesus is coming and tell them about the eternal life he has promised. Let us be ready. Let us work the work of Jesus in this world. Let's make his name known. let's pray for the whole people of God throughout the world. Let's pray that God will raise up people like Esther who will stand up to tyrants and threats and punishments and dictators. Let's pray boldly that God will raise up Esthers in Ukraine and in Russia and wherever in the world who will stand up putting their lives on the line for the sake of God's good timing and God's good purpose to proclaim the life and the resurrection and the return of Jesus Christ. Let's pray that he'll do it in your life as well. Christ is coming. He's coming soon. Why don't we pray? Would you join me? Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for creating us for such a time as this. Align our hearts and our lives according to your good purposes. May we work according to your good timing and trust in your promises. May we stand up like Esther and speak boldly your word so that many more will come to know of salvation in you, Jesus, and the life that you've promised. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and end the suffering and the warfare and the death in this world. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and hold us in hope until that day of everlasting life in your name. Amen. Amen.